I want to also take a moment and realize that today, as amazing as Mother's Day is, it's also a very difficult day for a lot of people. And so we want to laugh and be thankful for our mothers. We want to celebrate the fact that God has put uh, biological mothers in our life. And yet I want to acknowledge the fact. Ooh, I almost fell off. Sorry. People say I'm going to fall off all the time, and I do it at a very lousy moment just then. I want to acknowledge that today is, could be a very difficult day for some of us. Uh, could be the loss of a child. Could be the fact that your child's not as involved in your life as you'd like them to be. It could be that, that, that your child is off with their family today and not with you. It, it could be um, that, that uh, you have a desire to have a child and, and you don't. It could be that you wish you were married. It could be a million different things. It could be a miscarriage that you've experienced in the past. And I also acknowledge that I'm a man, and so it's hard for me to even begin to delineate all of the reasons why today could be a hard day. But I do want to say this, that as your pastor, as your friend, and as a church family, we want to acknowledge whether it be Mother's Day or whether it be another day of the year, whether it be as a male or as a female, whether it be as an old person or a young person, that we as a church family have a desire to love one another well and care for each other and to celebrate the highs and to grieve with the lows. And so I desire for us as a church family, and I know you do too, that we as a church family would be that very thing, that we would love one another well and serve one another well and pray for one another and encourage each other as we walk through this thing called life that sometimes is glorious and sometimes is very difficult. So thank you for being that kind of church family. And let's strive to continue to improve along those lines because we all need one another. As we demonstrated with the Rabelais a moment ago, we, they were acknowledging we want to raise our daughter in a way that she would love the Lord. And at the same time, we as a church family have got to put our arms around them and to nurture them and care for them. The same is true about whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. So this morning, know that you are seen, know that you are loved, know that you are cared for while we even celebrate this wonderful day, this difficult day called Mother's Day. All right, I'm Alan. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I have the pleasure of being the senior pastor here as well as one of the elders we are absolutely thrilled that you chose to come and worship with us. I know some of you are here because your mom is here, family is here. Some of you maybe are visiting for your very first time. Whatever the case may be, thank you for worshiping with us today. We would love an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better in the days and weeks ahead. You can help us out by filling out a connection card that should be in a, a chair near you. You can, you can drop that in an offering plate when it's passed. Also, after the service, I'll be available out in the foyer area and would love a chance to get to meet some of you as you come through. We as a church family have been walking through the book of Acts. And so this morning, I'd encourage you to do a couple of things. If you got a worship guide when you came in, go ahead and pull that out. On the back side, there'll be a place where you can take notes. And then grab a Bible. If you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it to the book of Acts. Uh, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Uh, it'll be right there kind of at the back 
two-thirds of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in a chair near you or underneath you. If you don't own a Bible or you need one, feel free to take that home with you today as a gift from us. We are looking at Acts chapter 5 today. We'll be looking at chapter, uh, sorry, verses 12 through 16. And just in case you ever wonder, what is Alan going to preach next week? It's always uh, going to be listed at the bottom of the sermon notes that you can read ahead if you'd like to, uh, so that you can see that next week we'll be jumping into verse 17 through 42. But today, Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, uh, are actually, let me look at something real quick. Yeah, 16. In my notes, I have through 17, but through 16 is the right verse. This is the third uh, and final summary section that we find in the book of Acts. Oftentimes in the book of Acts, we see the story as it's taking place, as it's unfolding, it's a narration of the account that's taking place. But there are three different places. We've looked at two of them already, one in chapter 2, one in chapter 4, and now here this one in chapter 5. It's kind of a summary or a picture or a snapshot of several things that did take place, but it doesn't isolate a particular event. Instead, it kind of encapsulates the, the general momentum of, of what's going on in the life of the church. So in this text, Acts chapter 5, we see that very thing. In this summary, we're going to see that God's great power is on display in his and through his church. So let's look at it together. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter, one of the apostles, came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let's look at this text a little bit closer. I want to kind of walk through some, some general things we need to understand about this text, and then I'm going to finish up the morning by looking at three kind of application points of what we see taking place in the early church, and therefore what we want to see take place in our church family as well. What I want to share with you first is that this, this section of verses, verse 12, begins with a Greek word, day, spelled D-E. And the reason I point that out is because in my translation, it says now many signs and wonders were done. It has the word now. I don't know about your translation, what it may say, but the reality is this. The Greek word day is the same exact Greek word that is used to begin verse 1 of chapter 5. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. It begins with the word but, B-U-T, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira. The reality is this, the word now is an okay translation of the word day, but it, it actually kind of carries with it the idea of a contrast with what takes place beforehand. And so as we walk through this summary section, when it says now many signs and wonders are being done, you could insert the word but here to indicate that it contrasts with the story that's before it. 
If you were here last week, you heard me preach about Ananias and Sapphira. If you weren't here last week, you can always go to our website, lhbc.net, and you can look at any previous sermons. But in that section, we see God's judgment come down upon Ananias and Sapphira because they were spiritual frauds pretending to be something that they were not. And now in this section, beginning in verse 12, we see, but this is in contrast. That yes, the early church wasn't perfect. Yes, the church had an example of Ananias and Sapphira that were less than desirable. But now we get back on the right road and we see that the church, for the most part, is seeking to follow the Lord. And so we see here that signs and wonders are being performed by the apostles. The word here for the verb carries with it the idea that it's ongoing. It's an imperfect verb. Depending on your translation, it may say different things, but in the ESV, it inserts the word regularly there in verse 12. That's a hard word for me to say. But it says, signs and wonders were regularly done. And that word regularly, which I can't say, is not actually there in the Greek. Rather, it combines the idea of regular and done together to indicate that the Greek verb is saying not only did it happen once, but it was ongoing time and time and time again. And so what we see is that the power of the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit, is it's so at work among his people, among his apostles, that on a regular basis, as if it was no big deal, there were signs and wonders that were taking place. Now, now you may wonder, well, what's meant by signs and wonders? I think the, the, the English does a very good job of kind of describing for us what it is. But I also want to point out that in the book of John, there is an indication that, that, that there were seven signs that Jesus did during the work of his ministry. And John outlines them. And each time he uses the word sign. The word sign means not just some miracle, not just kind of some magic show. Rather, a sign was indicating the power of God and pointing to something beyond the miraculous and pointing back to God. And so whenever it says that signs and wonders are being done, this was not to get the attention of the people and say, look, the apostles are amazing people. No, the idea was to grab their attention and say, look at the Lord that the apostles serve. He is great. He is wonderful. He is powerful. He is worthy of worship. And so whenever we see that signs and wonders are taking place on a regular basis, we see that these signs and wonders are pointing to the work that God is doing in and among and through his people, and that always these signs were intended to point beyond the sign itself and point to Jesus. And so as a church family, whenever we do things, whenever we sing songs, whenever we have a vacation Bible school, whenever we do any kind of gathering, we must make sure that in the midst of it, we're celebrating the power of the Lord and pointing back to Jesus. And so that's kind of the, the, the table is being set here to indicate the power of the Lord through the people uh, of God to point back to Jesus. Uh, I want you to look again at verse 12. It says that these signs and wonders were being done by the hands of the apostles. By the hands of the apostles. Some of the translations carry with it the word through the hands of the apostles. A lot of times those prepositions can be translated different ways. And the idea of being done by the hands of the apostles, through the hands of the apostles, carries with it the idea that the apostles were simply intermediaries. In other words, yes, the apostles were taking the actions, touching the people, declaring them healed. But it wasn't the apostles actually doing the work. It was God himself. 
And so God is doing it, and he's choosing to do it by the hands of the apostles. It's not dissimilar from how God's holy word is recorded, right? The Bible is written, and it's inspired by God. It's entirely the word of God. It's entirely true. It's free from error, and yet God chose to write that down for us, not literally by his own hand, but rather by the hands of apostles who then record the word of the Lord, right? So in this scenario, God is doing the work. It's him doing the work. So whenever we see the power that's coming out in these verses, let us never lose sight that it's not the apostles, it's not the disciples, it's not you and I that are doing anything incredible. Rather, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in and through his people. So here we are. It says in verse 13 that they were, sorry, in verse 12 still, they were all together in Solomon's portico. You're like, what in the world is Solomon's portico? I'm glad you asked that question. Solomon, maybe that's a name you know. It's not a, it's, it is a name I know that's used today, but usually when we think of the word Solomon, it, you may flash back, okay, I know it's something about the Old Testament. Like, I know there was a dude by the name of Solomon. Help me remember what it's about. Some of you that have teenage boys, maybe they have found Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon was, never mind, anyway, Song of Solomon was written by Solomon, right? Solomon is a king in Israel back in the day. He is the son of David. And in the temple in Jerusalem, that is a huge temple complex. It's not just a small place. It's a huge complex with many, many acres, hundreds of acres. And in the temple complex, there was a section referred to as Solomon's portico. And, and a few weeks ago, I showed a picture of it. I don't have it out today, but it's basically just a columned area of the temple that's just like it sounds. It's, a, it's, 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 it's out and kind of... It's at the edge is what I'm trying to say, all right? I'm picturing it and my words are not working with my mouth, uh, my brain, whatever. See, they didn't work just then. Um, so here we go. At the temple, there would be a section that would be referred to as, oh, look, there it is. Thank you, guys. Woo-woo. There we go. There we go. All right, all right, all right. So do you see those columns at the, uh, at the far end of the temple complex? All right. Imagine this wall that we can't see on the other side of. There's columns there as well, okay? And on this wall that's nearest us is, are these columns, and right there kind of in the middle-ish is where Solomon's portico is. And so, as you can see, it's kind of a sheltered, shaded area. It's, it's out away from the Holy of Holies, which would be the center part. And it'd be right at the edge of the court of the Gentiles. And so it was in a very public place. Place. It was like a place that everybody had to kind of parade by if they're coming to the temple. And so what's going on is that the, the apostles were in the routine or the habit or the discipline of still going on a regular basis to the temple to worship. And then as they would get there, they would kind of settle down in Solomon's portico. And the reason they would do it is because they had a chance to be together, but more importantly, they wanted to preach about Jesus because they knew at the temple Jesus was not being preached. And so they would preach about Jesus, and they would perform miracles that would take place there. And so at the end of verse 12, in Acts chapter 5, we see that they were all together at Solomon's portico. What I want you to see is this. The work that the apostles were doing right there at Solomon's portico was actually a very bold move on their part. 
If you remember, a few weeks back, we read a passage that talked about how the apostles were arrested. Why were they arrested? Because they were preaching Jesus at Solomon's portico. They were arrested because the religious leaders didn't like it too much. Come next week, and you're going to find out just how bold of a move this was, because they're going to get arrested again for preaching Jesus, even though they've been commanded to do it no longer. So, here they gather. They're at Solomon's portico. They are allowing an opportunity for uh, people to come and to hear Jesus' name preached, as well as miracles and signs and wonders. The, the, the phrase there in verse 12 says they were all together. Previously, as we've walked through the book of Acts, we've seen that this word, all together, these words, all together, carry with it the idea of unity and harmony and kind of on the same page. However, in the Greek, that same phrase doesn't have to mean just unity. It can literally mean, hey, they were all literally physically right there. And so what we see here that Luke is recording in verse 12, he's saying, hey, all the apostles were gathered right there. There's been debate or discussion about what the word all means. Does the word all mean all the believers of Jesus are gathered right there? More than likely, the answer is no. And here is why. Because at this point, the number of believers in Jesus is well over 5,000, probably closer to 10 to 15,000. It's very unlikely that all 10 to 15,000 are gathered right there at Solomon's portico. So rather, the word all here probably indicates all the apostles. Because earlier there in verse 12, we see that these signs and wonders are being performed by the hands of the apostles. And now it says they were all there. So more than likely, when Luke writes the word all, it indicates that all the apostles are there. Now go on to verse 13. It says they were all there. And then in 13, it says, none of the rest dared join them. And then 14 says, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. It's almost like 13 and 14 don't make sense together. Stay with me, they do. 13 says, nobody dared join them. The rest of them didn't. But then 14 says, but a lot of people did join them. A lot of people, multitudes of people came to faith in Jesus through their work and ministry. So which one of it is it? Is it that no one joined them, or is it that people did so in record numbers? Because verse 14 says not only did more people join them, it says more than ever believers were added. Let's go back to verse 13. It says none of the rest dared join them. If the word all in verse 12 means the apostles then the none of the rest more than likely means none of the rest of the followers of Jesus at that time necessarily joined them. What the picture seems to be is this. The apostles and maybe a few of the other disciples are on a regular basis ending up at Solomon's portico. They're preaching Jesus. They're performing miracles. The work of Jesus is being done there. And therefore, the rest of the disciples chose not to join them in that setting because they didn't see an unnecessary reason to be arrested right there in the moment because the name of Jesus is being proclaimed anyway. And we can see that incredible ministry is taking place. And so the other disciples are maybe holding back from being in that location to prevent all of them being arrested at once. So that's kind of what's going on at this point. Let's keep mo moving on, though. It says in verse 13 that the people, they all held the apostles in high esteem. In other words, the church was making a tremendous impact. 
Whenever the church saw the apostles, they were impressed. Whenever, I'm sorry, when the people saw the apostles, they were impressed. Whenever the people thought of the church, they were impressed. The church was making an impact in their community, and people were respecting what God was doing in and through them. So much to the point that we see in that next verse that many were added to the Lord. Verse 14, more than ever believers were added to the Lord. The word more than ever carries with it much by far. Like there is no comparison. Like God was blowing up the church. It was growing by leaps and bounds. We can see that on any given day, there was one time when 2,000 came to faith, another day where 3,000 came to faith. And that to me sounds like a very big deal. And now Luke casually says that the Lord was doing it at such a clip that it was more than ever. Pretty amazing when you consider the previous numbers. I want us to walk on through. We're going to look at the next two verses, and then we're going to kind of figure out how it applies to us. Verse 15, I will acknowledge, is a bit strange to us. In verse 15, we see that people were healed, but then what does it describe? It says that they were healed, they were carried out. Why were they carried out to the streets? They were carried out to the streets. The end of verse 15 says that as Peter, one of the apostles, came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Weird. Like, people are being healed because a shadow passes over them? What's going on here? And whenever we walk through the book of Acts, we understand that much of the book of Acts is descriptive. It's describing what's taking place. It's not always prescriptive, meaning this is the way it's supposed to be done today. So after the service, we're not necessarily supposed to grab all of our people that are sick and take them on a cot and set them out on Highway 6. It might not be a good thing to do. However, and it's also not saying that whenever one of the elders walks by and the shadow it casts over our people that it will heal the person. Rather, what it's saying is this. The people had so much faith that God was doing incredible things that they were acknowledging that if I could just get close to the action, then the Lord is going to heal me. And therefore, they had faith that God would heal them. It reminds me of a story about the woman who was hemorrhaging. Do you remember her? Whenever we think about the woman that was hemorrhaging in the life of Jesus uh, back in, um, it was in, in Luke, uh, Luke 8, she said, if I could just get close enough to Jesus and touch the fringe of his garment, he doesn't even have to know I'm there, but if I touch it, then he'll heal me. What happens? He touches her, the crowd is pressing in, and Jesus acknowledges that she is healed. He's like, somebody touch me, and they're like, uh, Jesus, everybody's touching you. He's like, no, for real, somebody with faith touched me, and she's healed, and it was the woman that had been hemorrhaging. Same sort of thing. Jesus was not indicating there's something magical about my garment, touch it and you'll be healed like it's some magic lamp. This is not saying the shadow of Peter is some kind of holy replica and if you have the shadow hit you then you're healed. No, rather in both of those cases the reason the person was healed was because they had faith that God could do it. And so that's what's taking place here. Let's keep going. Verse 15 um, says this. It says, so that... They carried the sick out. What's it pointing back to? In some ways, verses, the end of verse 12, 13, and 14 are kind of parenthetical in nature. And so in 15, when it says, so that even they even carried people out, actually goes back to the beginning of verse 12. Because signs and wonders were being done on a regular basis, they responded and took them out so that their friends could be healed as well. Then verse 16 
In verse 16, we see that people from around Jerusalem brought their sick to be healed. Why is that a big deal? Flashback to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus tells his disciples before he ascends into heaven that they would have the Holy Spirit come upon them and that they were to be his witnesses. Where were they to be his witnesses? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. We are seeing this beginning to be fulfilled. That now it's not just what's taking place in Jerusalem, but it's spilling out and impacting all of the communities around them as well. So, here's what's going on. The apostles... Not long after being told that they were not to preach the name of Jesus any longer, continue to preach the name of Jesus. Do you remember in chapter 4 of Acts, after they were arrested, after they were let go by the authorities, after they were commanded, don't preach the name of Jesus any longer, they found their friends, they prayed with their friends. Look with me at Acts chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. As they're praying, they say, And now, Lord, look upon the threats of the religious leaders. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And then 30, while you, God, stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 30, they call on, G on the Lord to extend his hand to heal people and to bring signs and wonders. And here we are now in chapter 5, and we see that the Lord has extended his hand and signs and wonders are being performed, all because of the faith and prayer of the people of God. So, here we go. I said, I've said that a few times, and now we're ready to kind of take what we've seen in verses 12 through 16, reflect back on it and see what the church is doing and how you and I should respond as the church as well. As you see on your sermon notes, we see that God's power is on display through his church. And in this chapter, in these verses, we see his power displayed through his people. We see his power displayed through the church. And the way that we see it happen is, first of all, we see that people are healed. There on your notes, it says people are healed. In fact, three times in these five verses, we see that people are healed. This is the thrust of this passage. The power of the Lord that brings healing and signs and wonders. We see in verse 12, many signs and wonders were, were performed. We see in verse 15, they carried out the sick so that, that as Peter came by, they might be healed. We see in verse 16 that the sick and those afflicted by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. All throughout the scripture, all throughout the book of Acts, we have seen that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work through his people. We, we, we know that the kind of the title of this book is Acts of the Apostles, but in many ways it could be called different things as well. The Acts of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is actually working through the, through the Apostles, right? It could be called the Acts of Jesus Christ, because it's the extended ministry continuation of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, through his people. And in this scenario, we see that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and at work in his people, and as a result of that, healings take place. So what is the purpose of these healings? Is the purpose of the healings just simply to bring physical healing? Is the purpose of the healing just to kind of um, uh, bring a conclusion to the, the, the difficulty the person is facing? No, that's not the reason for the miracle. Yes, the miracle does, the healing does bring physical healing, yes. But the purpose is for us to see that God is at work restoring his creation. 
Creation is broken, creation is full of sin, creation is full of chaos and confusion, and God brings restoration, and he does that by bringing healing into the equation. So healed does not merely mean medical, rather healing ultimately means the healing that is real that comes from the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. And so in this scenario, when signs and wonders are performed, when healings are performed, we see that Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, is being established in such a way that there's no question that he is in charge. There's no question that he is sovereign. There's no question that his power is above and beyond anything we could face, think, or imagine. And I've said this in previous weeks. I acknowledge and understand, even as I look out in this a congregation as I think of friends in my life I understand that at times we pray for healing physical healing and it doesn't always come I don't know why that is other than we live in a broken world and if God always brought healing then none of us ever would die and ultimately death is coming for all of us and and healing does not always take place like we want it to but we know that Jesus brings healing even if it's not always physical healing in this particular chapter we see literal physical healing taking place why does God choose to do something big like this I believe that God is saying, my church is starting. I need to draw attention to myself and to my work. And to do that very thing, I'll bring these miracles, these signs and wonders, these healings, so that as the church starts, it can point back to me. So because the church is starting, great miracles are taking place. Also, think about the ministry of Jesus. Didn't the ministry of Jesus include, involve, healings as well as teaching and so isn't the book of acts a continuation of the ministry of jesus so it's just natural that healings are taking place as it's doing the work of jesus moving forward i invite you to look at a, a verse with me john chapter 14 verse 12 jesus shares these words it's on the evening that he will be arrested and crucified the next day and as he is sharing with his disciples in John chapter 14, as he's trying to assure them that he is with them, he says in verse 12, even though I'm leaving, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. He's saying, I'm going to the Father. The Holy Spirit's coming to you. You will be able to spread out and multiply all over the world. And because of the work that the Holy Spirit does in and through you, you are going to do great things for the kingdom. And so we see in Acts chapter 5, that's being lived out. So what about today? Do healings still take place today? Yes. I have witnessed amazing healing that has taken place in the lives of some of my friends, people who supposedly had a broken neck by an x-ray and then it's no longer broken. Friends that supposedly had a brain tumor that was inoperable and the, the picture was completely bleak and then the next week when they do another scan, it is miraculously gone. Healing is a real thing. God is still in the healing business. 
God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wills to take place. But healing is not always physical healing that he brings. So whenever I say that a church that is alive in the power of the Holy Spirit, that healing comes, it could be physical healing, but it's most definitely going to involve other healings as well. Think of the, these healings that take place, salvation. When someone trusts in Jesus for salvation, the healing comes when they're no longer doomed to eternity in hell. They are doomed to glory. They are headed to glory in the presence of God. Think about other healings that come about. The healing of addictions that are broken. This past week, I had a chance to sit on the tailgate of my truck and talk to a friend of mine. He said, Alan, I am one year sober sexually. And he began to describe the sexual addiction he had been a part of, and yet how God has brought redemption and restoration and healing. God is in the healing business through the power of his Holy Spirit, and he uses his church to be a part of that equation relationships restored I've shared stories before along this lines but my friend Jacob Justice is a perfect example where he saw that relationships can be restored and that God brings healing and restoration and you probably can think of stories in your life where healing has come about that way as well healings that come about where finances that were broken have been provided where it feels like I don't have a next dollar to do anything and then I go to the mailbox and somehow miraculously it's there or on my front doorstep or somebody calling or somebody dropping by and giving you something. God brings healing and restoration. He is making all things new. It's only possible because of the Holy Spirit and his work and his people. So if the Holy Spirit is at work, which he is, in the life of a church, then healing comes. Then my challenge to us as a church family, may living hope be seen as a place where healing and restoration comes both individually and collectively as we see the Lord shine down his power in and through us. The second thing we see here is not only are people healed, but also believers are added. Whenever God's power is on display through his church, believers are added. We see that with the signs and healings and wonders that are done, it draws a crowd. People show up, they hear the apostles preach in the, uh, the Solomon's portico. It draws the attention of unbelievers. And in that scenario, we see in verse 13 that the people held them in high esteem. There was a reputation of the church that was impeccable. And because of what God was doing and because of the reputation of the people, others came and heard. And it says that more and more and more people were added to the Lord. So church, if we would allow the Holy Spirit to so work in our lives individually and collectively so that healings and restoration take place, word will get out. If we'll go out and live our lives in such a way that we are loving towards our community, word will get out. And as that takes place, then the gospel can be boldly proclaimed and people will be added to the Lord. You see, healing ministry of the church was not the ultimate goal. The gospel message was and still is today. However, because it says that the church had a good reputation or esteem among the people, that indicates to us that the church didn't say it's all about the gospel message, I could care less about your needs. 
the church met the needs of the people and therefore earned the right or the privilege or opportunity to preach the gospel to those around them. You see, sincerely caring about and meeting people's needs give us a chance to preach the gospel as well. The reputation of the believers kept the door open for unbelievers. My question for us as the church and specifically as Living Hope, does our reputation open the door for the gospel proclamation or does it, heaven forbid, close the door for gospel proclamation? Maybe you've had friends in your life where they said, I'm done with church. I went to a church and they were hateful to me. Number one, I don't know if they were hateful to them or not. They could be misrepresenting everything that took place, but they at least perceived that the church, I'm not talking about living hope, I've never heard that about living hope, but, but it, it could be that, that, that the church has run them off from God. May our reputation not be one that runs people off, rather may our reputation draw people in to see that there's something different about us so that we can then preach the gospel boldly to them. Guys, our beliefs and our convictions must be solid on God's word. And at the same time, we must never be offensive to the culture. The only offense to the culture should be the gospel truth that salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And the way we proclaim that should never, the way in which we do it should never be offensive to the people. Let them be offended by the gospel. May they not be offended by us. Needs in the life of people can feel so large that they feel like they need to be healed and saved by the thing they're facing. But as we, as we meet a need in their life, may we acknowledge to them, this isn't your ultimate need. Your ultimate need is your need for Jesus. The answer to anything we're facing in life is Jesus. So let's meet practical needs while also pointing to Jesus. So, we see so far that a church that has the Holy Spirit at work in us can be a place where people are healed. We see that believers are added. And now putting those together, let's look at the fact that we are able as a church to see or show the, the, the power of the Lord as we act in his power. That's uh, the third note on your notes. The church acts in his power. Ultimately, the power of God is on display when we act in his power. Throughout the text that we've looked at this morning, as well as other texts in the book of Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit shows up and he works through the church. In this text, we see that the focus of this text is to meet the needs of people, which is healing. The focus of this church, uh, the, the message is to share the gospel, which is to add people. Let us strive to be a powerful church in such a way that lives are restored and people come to faith in Jesus. Maybe you've heard the phrase powerful before in the context of church. Hear me carefully when I say this. Who doesn't want a powerful church? But powerful church does not mean this. Power is not found in powerful music. 
Powerful, power is not found in powerful preaching. Power is not found in powerful children's ministry. Power is not found in powerful events and activities that the church does. Rather, power is found in the Holy Spirit. And as he is at work, we can experience powerful moments through his work and not through our own efforts. So for us to be a powerful church does not mean we strive up this energy to be energetic enough and exciting enough and bouncing enough and shouting enough. Rather, it's the work of the Holy Spirit as he works within my life, within your life, and as the power of the Holy Spirit pours in and through us, it is contagious. He is contagious, and the work of God is evident to all around us. The church displays the power of God when we act in his power and not our own power. As the church, we must be walking with the Holy Spirit. As a church, we must be following his lead. We're to step out into the world in his power, seeking to meet the needs around us and then point people to Jesus. So here's the challenge that I have for us as a church. Would we make a commitment today, and and I pray that we're already doing this to an extent, but would we either recommit to this or commit for the first time? There's different people that fit both boats. Let's pray for God to show us where to meet needs in our community so that we can point people to the gospel. This week as I was thinking about what is it? Like how is it that we can and should serve our community? The list could be pretty long, right? I want to isolate one type of situation that this past week has reminded us of that could be a reminder to us of how we can be the church and the power of the Holy Spirit declaring God's hope and restoration and healing and point people to Jesus and let's think for just a minute what has happened this past week in the life of our nation you you know there was a leak that got out right like I don't know exactly how it's going to unfold but apparently the leak sounds like it's legit and I understand that if this leak is accurate, then, then there is a very strong chance that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. At the same time, I know that each state will then begin to jockey for position to try to make decisions that each church, I mean, sorry, each state may try to legislate that to make abortion okay in their state or to say, no, we're not going to allow it. We don't know how all it's going to unfold, but we know that some major shifting has taken place this week, Right? And so it's good news when we think about how how abortions may be coming to an end or slowing down and we want to see that come to an end, but we can't just celebrate and say, woohoo, we got the victory, but rather we got to see how can we act as the church to step out in power in the name of Jesus to meet the needs in the community around us based on what may very well be taking place. So I've jotted down a couple of things. I'm not saying this is the only way, but here's a couple of things. Have you heard of BCS Together? BCS Together is a ministry that's here in town, and it strives to meet the needs of children and families that are touched by the child welfare system. So that would be adoptive families, that'd be foster families, that would be families that are trying to avoid their children being taken away. And BCS Together is striving to be a place that meets the needs of these families. I guarantee it that if Roe v. Wade is changed, up, overturned, and all of that, then BCS Together very well is going to have more and more opportunities to be a ministry in our city and in our community. 
We're already, as a church, supporting what's called a, a care portal, which means that whenever a need comes up among one of those family members, then we find out about those needs. The clients happen to be kind of heading that up, and they're able to get word out about what those needs are. My question is, are we going to step forward? The church has done this periodically and faithfully through the years, but will we take a stronger stance to say, we don't agree with Roe v. Wade, and therefore we want to care for the children in our community, and we're choosing to do that by meeting the needs through BCS together. So that's one way that we as a church can step out and do more in our community to respond in this current climate we're in. What about hope pregnancy? Hope pregnancy they help women and teenage girls explore the options regarding their pregnancy. One of the things that they've let us know about is this. Whenever a, a, a woman or, or, or a teenager carries a child um, in, through pregnancy, that, that, and they need a baby shower. And so they ask churches to support them and kind of throw baby showers for these that are graduates of their programs. What would it look like if we as a church said, we're against Roe v. Wade, but more importantly, we're for the child that's going to be born, and let's step out and meet the needs of that child and her family or his, his family. So hope pregnancy center could be a way that we can care for our community. There's many other ways that I, I don't know the ways. There are a myriad of ways that we as a church need to step up and be the church in this moment. With each of these, we should strive to bring healing and adding people to the kingdom. Now, there's other needs in our community. We can't do it all. We probably shouldn't try to do it all. We shouldn't necessarily try to reinvent the wheel. We should look and see where there's ministries in our community that are taking care of needs around us. Let's join forces with them. Let's love our neighbors well. And as we do it, may we do so not so that they are a project, but as we meet their need, we can faithfully share the gospel. And what they choose to do with the gospel is between them and God, and we're just being called to meet needs, love people, seek to bring healing, and ultimate healing as they come to know Jesus as their Savior. We see in this text that God's power is best on display whenever a church allows the Holy Spirit to be at work in and among and through us so that his glory is extended in our community. Some of us in this room, some of us watching online, you, you can't have the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit work within you because you don't know Jesus as your Savior yet. Have you trusted in Jesus for salvation? I'm not saying have you trusted in Jesus by your church participation. Have you trusted in Jesus by saying a prayer at, at, at the meal? Uh, have you trusted in Jesus by coming to church with your mama on Mother's Day? No, I'm saying have you trusted in Jesus for your salvation? Not from your predicament you find yourself in, but from the very fact that you and I are sinners and we are destined to an eternity without hope unless we trust in Jesus for our sins to be forgiven. The Bible is very clear that because of our sin, because of our sin nature, because of us rejecting God, that we are eternally separated from a holy, perfect God. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life. He died a death that you and I deserve. He was raised on the third day to new life. And if we will place our faith and our trust in him, asking him to forgive us of our sins, he will do that very thing. And his righteousness will be put upon us and we can have an eternal relationship with our Lord. Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
If you've not experienced that this morning, then in just a moment when I say amen and we start singing the song, come see me right here at the front and I would love to talk to you about what salvation is about. Those of us that have trusted in Jesus, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to be so at work within our lives that he is impacting everything we do? Here's a couple of, couple of screening questions that may help you with this. In your life, what are you attempting which couldn't be done without the power of the Holy Spirit? And if you go, Alan, I don't think there's anything that I'd say that the Holy Spirit isn't guiding your life. You're not letting him. Church family, as a church, what are we attempting to do? As a church family, which couldn't be done without the power of the Holy Spirit, we must allow the Holy Spirit to be at work within us so that we can be a display of the power and the goodness of God to those around us. Just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after that prayer is over with, we are going to have a chance to respond. A couple of ways that you can respond here at our church family. There, there'll be some offering plates that are passed. You can give financially if that's where God is leading you to respond. You can use your connection card uh, to jot down your information, prayer requests, uh, next steps that are listed at the bottom of uh, the prayer card, whatever you may need to do. You can drop that in the offering plate as a, as a form of response. You can come and pray at the altar. You can come and pray with me. You can do whatever it is that the Lord leads you to do, but let's respond to the power of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives in order that we may be on display for the mighty work of God for his glory and for his sake as we get ready to do that I wanted to pray a prayer over us that's actually based on a scripture passage and as I begin this prayer I'll actually be reading the text and I'll ask you to be praying with me we're not going to have the text on the screen I'm just going to read it over you because this is a prayer that, that Paul the apostle wrote in the book of Ephesians and I believe it describes for us the power of the Lord that he wants to be at work in and through his church. And I believe that if we'll hear these words, we'll be reminded of how powerful he is and trust that he is doing his work in and through us. And at the end of the prayer, we will stand, we'll sing, we'll respond, I'll be down front. Let's follow the Lord's leadership as he leads us. Pray with me. With the words of Paul, I pray these words over us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Father, we do pray those words with Paul. May your power be experienced in our lives. May the work of the Holy Spirit be so evident in our lives that we would be able to go out and declare your goodness to those that are around us. 
Father, I pray that you would so inundate us with your love and your power and your strength and your provision that we would be astounded by what you're doing, that you would accomplish much more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine because we're trusting in your spirit to guide us and not ourselves. Father, may you be glorified through our lives. And may we point others to the hope that's found in Jesus. May we be a church that's known for the power of the Holy Spirit in and through us. And may it all be for your glory and for your sake. It's in the power of the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? Would you stand with us? We'll sing together. We'll respond. I'll be available here at the front.